Greetings to those who watch below. For today's stop on the Paranormal States Tour, we're going to stick with the news and head to New York. But before we start, I'd like to say thank you to those who dwell below, an exclusive channel membership that gets you shoutouts at the start of every single video. So thank you to Steffi Ray, Lefty Kim, M.A. Way, Julie B, Chris BLK Chris, Canopsia, Tegan S, Tesos Karamaris, LT Punisher 666, Wicked Witch, Lisa Watts, and Christina Groves. If you'd like to join them, you can check out the link in the description box, where you can also find all the details for myself on social media. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Tormented in Brooklyn by Jane H. We moved into 455 A. Sackett Street when I was 14 years old, on April the 1st, 1998. From the moment we moved in, something was not so right. It was an incredibly dark apartment, though we should have been thrilled because it was the first apartment we'd ever had with more than one floor. There were three floors, including the basement, and it was nice, if you could ignore the feeling of someone standing just behind you or staring at you wherever you went. Within two weeks of moving in, I was attacked in my own bedroom by a man from the neighbourhood. An elderly woman who'd lived right next door for most of her life informed us that no one had occupied our apartment for more than a year at a time since as long as she could remember. She also related that terrible tragedies befell all of said people within only a few weeks of moving in. Counting through the day, they moved out. Though we all had eerie feelings in the apartment, we'd not noticed anything too weird. The apartment was very uninviting, cold and damp. We tried to decorate it, warming up a little, but nothing helped. Another thing was that no matter what we did, we could not get a phone installed. We had the phone company over about four times to fix the wires, but no matter what they did, we would get absolutely nothing, not even static, so we were pretty isolated. The entire time we were there, weird happenings continued. The ceiling above my brother's bed collapsed. The only reason he wasn't hurt is because he got up to use the bathroom. A fire started in my room. The fire department could not determine why. If my friend hadn't stopped by and rang my bell, I would have continued sleeping. Within five minutes of answering the bell, my neighbor came out screaming that my room was on fire. I ran up and the entire back wall was in flames. I tried to put it out with a blanket, and unbeknownst to me, the door would close behind me. It went from daylight to dark in two minutes, and I started to pass out. Thankfully, my friend ran up and opened the door, carrying me down the stairs, or I would have been literal toast. After that, my neighbour confided in us that strange things have always gone on in my building. In the 30s or 40s, a fire had killed a little boy within a month of the family moving in. In the 60s, a couple were whacked by the mob because of some insidious affair. There were no records because the church's records had been burned in a fire, so we couldn't get any more information than what people said. There were other strange things that happened. A friend of mine coming into my apartment saw a little boy in burnt rags staring at her in my bathroom mirror. She ran out crying and refused to step foot in my door again. Another friend who slept over 
and awoke in the middle of the night, swore that she saw a woman walk into my room through the door. My brother and I heard children crying and laughing one day downstairs, and when we tried to leave my mother's room, we were locked in, even though there was no lock on the door. It was an hour before it finally opened. My mother was downstairs doing the laundry when the lights turned off in the basement and she felt a cold, scaly hand grab her shoulder. Needless to say, my dad did the laundry after that. Weird smells, sounds, and the feeling that something or someone did not want you there, that something bad was going to happen to you, and that you were not welcome at all. We moved out a year to the day later, as soon as we could find a new apartment. We found out some more after that. The people that moved in after us tried to renovate the basement, and found the body of a small boy in the wall. They left suddenly one night, not too long after, and never returned. Another couple moved in, and left as inexplicably as the last, and so on and so forth, to this day. Since then, we met a woman whom had gone to my mother's office. She's a nurse that works in a doctor's office because of a nervous condition. My mother noticed the address on her insurance card didn't match the one listed, and the woman explained that she had only lived at 455A Sackett Street for a few months, and had to leave because her mother had died along with various other tragedies from the first week of moving in. My mother asked if the woman ever noticed anything weird. Well, the woman explained exactly what we had gone through. Perhaps it was the cause of her condition. We are all fine now, happy to be out of there, and we've moved on. We still see our old neighbour once in a while, and she always says the best thing we did was move out of that godforsaken house. Needless to say, we agree. Champ Champ or Champy is the name given to a reputed lake monster living in Lake Champlain. The lake is a natural freshwater lake in the Canadian province of Quebec and across the Vermont-New York border. While there is no scientific evidence for the cryptid's existence, there have been over 300 reported sightings. The legend of the monster is considered a draw for tourists in the Burlington, Vermont and Plattsburgh, New York areas. Like the Loch Ness Monster, most regard Champ as a legend. Others have speculated that it is possible such a creature does live deep in the lake, and is a possible relative of the plesiosaur, an extinct group of aquatic reptiles. In 1977, amateur photographer Sandra Mansi released a photograph that appeared to show a plesiosaur-like body and neck sticking out of the lake. Mansi later showed the photo which is similar to the famous surgeon's photo of the Loch Ness Monster, to Joseph W. Zarenzinski. The entire bay of the lake where the photograph reportedly took place is no deeper than 14 feet. According to Joe Nickel, there are few explanations for how a giant creature could swim, let alone hide, in such shallow water. Furthermore, it has been suggested that the object in the photograph could possibly be a rising tree trunk or log, Rotting trees often gather gas in the process of decay, and sometimes rise to the water's surface at considerable speed. Champ has reportedly been seen in a video taken by fisherman Dick Affalter and his stepson Pete Burdett in 2005. Close examination of the images 
may be interpreted either as a head and neck of a plesiosaur-like animal with an open mouth in one frame and a closed mouth in another, or as a big fish or eel. Two retired FBI forensic image analysts have reviewed the tape. They say it appears authentic and unmanipulated. Another piece of evidence, though not a sighting per se, is the recording of echolocation from within the lake by the Fauna Communications Research Institute in 2003, who were working as part of a Discovery Channel program. The group has concluded that the sounds that they have recorded are similar to that of a beluga whale, or perhaps an orca, but not of any known animal, and no dolphin or whale species have been previously known to live in the lake. Does this mean that Champ lies just under the surface, like its more famous cousin from Scotland, the Loch Ness Monster? New Housemate Alters House by Sale I have a rather odd experience to relate. In September of 2011, a friend of mine that had been living out of state for the past 12 years returned to New York. We made an agreement that he could stay with me and help with the bills of my home and such. It was not a smooth transition. He arrived on September 19th, and almost immediately it felt as if the atmosphere in my home changed. The first night he was here, one of his moving buddies stayed with us. The other went to visit family that lived in the area. They spent most of the evening after unloading the truck, talking about the events of the trip. Things, of course, for some reason, ended up taking on a supernatural bent, and my friend Jack informed me that my driveway was unsettling. Now, I've lived here for nearly 12 years, and my driveway has never bothered me before. I said it was most likely because he'd been living in a large city for the past 12 years, and perhaps being out in the country would take some getting used to. They told me about some strange and disturbing occurrences that happened on their trip, driving through various places before they made it to my place in New York. I just sort of brushed it off as being overactive imaginations. However, I admit to having had an uneasy feeling that I could not quite place. The next ten months proved to be a strange combination of things that took place rather randomly in and around my house. My driveway was suddenly unsettling. I'm not afraid of the dark as a rule, and normally have no issues getting out of my car and going to the gate. I do not suffer from panic attacks or irrational bouts of fear, but I started to. It felt like something was watching me from the woods, and as the moon waned, it seemed to grow bolder, getting closer and closer, until each night I worked, I dreaded getting out of my car. I hate to admit it, but I carried a flashlight with me, something I had never done in the past. The sensation would leave me almost as soon as you closed the gate. On the nights when there was no moon, it sometimes felt as if it was still watching you, the hair on the back of your neck standing on end kind of thing, but it never tried to follow into the fenced-in areas. Inside the house underwent some changes as well. I have to explain that my life was not free of activity before Jack moved in, but it was a very different kind of thing. For me, it consisted of single incident years earlier, which involved a full-bodied apparition in a flannel shirt and jeans. 
and a few constants that did not inspire any form of dread. In my house on occasion you would hear music playing and be able to find no source, like a CD on repeat. I cannot tell you how many times I have found myself checking all my radios and players before I realised the sound seemed to be coming from outside. It can be heard when you're outside, but I have never been able to locate its source, and it strangely stays the same level of volume, like you can't walk closer or further away from it. Sometimes, very few times, normally during the summer months, someone will randomly call my name. Jack reported hearing someone or something call his name on a number of occasions. On these occasions, he normally thought it was me, because the voice was female and seemed to be calling from outside, though I was never home from these instances. I experienced three very strange things while Jack lived in my home. I was in the house by myself one afternoon, and I thought I heard the front door open and footsteps on the kitchen floor. I assumed Jack was home as he was a very large tall man, and his footfalls were normally clear. When I called out, he did not answer, and after a few moments, he did not appear, so I went to see if he needed help with anything, only to find the kitchen empty and my front door ajar. The second occurrence happened around 1.30am. I awoke suddenly. Of course, my room is dark, except for the clock light, and the light which seeps in through the window from the lamp in the yard. I laid there for a moment, not sure what had woken me, when there was this loud crash, a sound like pans falling from the cupboard. For a moment, I was thinking I should get up, but there was another noise, like loud footsteps running down the hallway. It freaked me out, because the only other person in the house was Jack, and he could not physically move that quickly. I stayed in bed and just listened. The footsteps went up and down the hallway before finally stopping as suddenly as it had all began. This happened more than once, according to Jack, although this is the only instance that I was awake for. The last thing I experienced myself was more of a strange thing that I still can't explain. I have a Kindle Paperwhite, I've had it for some time, and I misplaced it. I couldn't find it anywhere. I turned my bedroom upside down. I looked through everything and every room in the house. I was beginning to think that perhaps it had been broken or stolen or who knows. I decided as a last-ditch attempt to find it to check all the drawers in my dresser. I thought perhaps I had set it on the dresser and it had fallen down into one of the drawers. I opened the drawers, no Kindle. But on a whim, I pulled the folded clothes from the drawer and the Kindle was nestled between two pairs of pants as if someone tucked it inside for safekeeping. Three items from the bottom of the drawer and three items from the top. The strange thing was, I'd put those clothes in the drawer before the Kindle ever went missing. Jack also felt very uncomfortable about the hallway outside his room. I admit that sometimes that hallway gives me the creeps too, but Jack couldn't sleep without lights on. So rather than turning on a hallway light, I hung fairy lights to chase away the shadows and placed dream catches in his room to hopefully ease the bad dreams he reported. The dream catches and the lights seemed to do the trick, and eventually he told me that he felt as if there was some sort of creature in the hallway. 
that it smelled of wet dog or some other wild thing, and that it growled at him. The night he told me that, I noticed the smell, and strangely, I think I might have even heard a growl, but I chalked my experiences up to his telling me what happened. Now, the strangest part of all this is perhaps that the very day he moved out of my house, the atmosphere changed. It seemed to grow brighter. That night when I returned from work, even though it was dark, I felt no fear standing in my driveway. It still felt as if something was watching me, but the fear was gone. It didn't scare me the way it had for the past ten months. Inside was back to normal. I heard the music the following day that I had off from work, just like always, and it had been strangely missing in those ten months he had lived with me. Cropsy This is the story of a nightmare come to life. Once, Cropsy was just an urban legend, the boogeyman of Staten Island. Cropsy was rumoured to be a homicidal madman, an escaped mental patient with a hook for a hand, who hunted children and dragged them back to the tunnel system that lay under the abandoned ruins of the old Seaview Hospital, a former tuberculosis sanitarium. Parents used Cropsy to frighten their children into being good and staying near home. After all, Cropsy could be anywhere, waiting to strike. Older siblings would tell Cropsy stories at night to terrify their younger brothers and sisters. As if that wasn't enough, one summer camp variation on the tale of Cropsy inspired a 1981 slasher movie, The Burning. But then, in the 1980s, the children of Staten Island had even more reason to fear their local boogeyman. Cropsy had come to life, in the form of an actual homicidal madman who really did hunt children. Soon, the urban legend of Cropsy would be unmasked as Andre Rand. Rand worked as a janitor in the Willowbrook State School on Staten Island, a place whose name alone has the power to frighten adults and children alike. The institution, built as a respite for children with intellectual disabilities, was revealed to be a living hell in the 1970s, although authorities wouldn't close the school until 1987. The children there had been subjected to rampant abuse and corporal punishment, severe overcrowding which led to unsanitary conditions. It was also home to what has been called one of the most unethical medical experiments on children in the United States. In the name of hepatitis research, medical staff intentionally injected healthy children with the virus, many of whom became severely ill as a result. The public wasn't aware of the conditions inside the school, given that many of the children inside had sadly been abandoned by their parents and the foster care system. In 1972, a young Geraldo Rivera published an expose that revealed the horrific conditions inside the Willowbrook State School and ignited a national scandal. The school was officially closed 15 years later, and the negative publicity contributed to the successful passage of federal civil rights legislation that protects the mentally disabled and other people who have been institutionalised. That same year, Andre Rand, former janitor of the School of Horrors, was arrested in connection with the disappearance of Jennifer Schweiger, a 12-year-old girl with Down syndrome. At the time, Rand was homeless 
and living in a makeshift campsite on the grounds of the abandoned school, not too far from the ruinous Seaview Hospital that was so closely tied to the Cropsey legend. Over a month after her disappearance, searchers found Jennifer's body in a shallow grave on the desolate school grounds where the drifter was living. Rand was charged with murder. By that time, Rand already had a long rap sheet of crimes against children. In 1969, he was sentenced to 16 months in jail for the attempted assault of a nine-year-old. In 1983, he went to jail again after kidnapping a bus full of children from the local YMCA and driving them to an airport. And though there wasn't enough physical evidence to charge him, police already suspected him in the disappearances of at least four other Staten Islanders going back more than a decade. Alice Pereira, five, who disappeared in 1972, Holly Ann Hughes, seven, who disappeared in 1981, and was last spotted with Rand on the day of her disappearance. 11-year-old Tyhees Jackson, who disappeared in 1983, and Hank Gaforio, a mentally disabled 22-year-old who was last seen with Rand at a diner in 1984. To this day, none of the bodies have been found. The jury for Rand's case could not reach a verdict on the murder charge, as there was not enough physical evidence of his direct involvement in Jennifer's death. However, they found him guilty of kidnapping, for which Rand received a sentence of 25 years in prison. Rand would have been eligible for parole in 2008, but in 2004, new evidence came to light, linking him to the disappearance of Holly Ann Hughes. A fellow inmate took notes of conversations he had with Rand in which Rand described in detail his abduction of the girl. Rand was convicted on a second kidnapping charge and given another 25-year sentence. He will not be eligible for parole until 2037, when he will be 93 years old. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like and also subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, hitting that notification bell so that you never miss a video. Also, if you're hankering for more paranormal state stories, make sure to check out the playlist. And if there's any that I've missed so far that you want to hear, let me know. I'd be more than happy to cover them. So, until next time, sleep tight. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big